So you ever have one of those conversations where elephant in the room, like you got to talk about something that's so obvious, but it feels, it feels uncomfortable. It feels awkward. It's like, it's the last thing I want to talk about, but it's like an elephant in the room. There's not much else being, you know, going on and much more that you're thinking about. We have reached that stage in the book of Galatians. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter four and land in verse 21. Okay. Just as a side note, every Wednesday we preview the Sunday sermon. You can kind of get a head start. We can kind of get the ball rolling um, so that by Sunday, it's kind of like we've broken up the soil of our hearts so that we're ready for the, the seed that is God's word. And so I want to encourage you, if you can be here Wednesday nights at seven o'clock, um, we do that and we pray for one another. So much like we did this morning, we do that every Wednesday. We've been praying for Pastor Saeed every Wednesday since we first learned about his plight. Uh, for, for Miriam Ibrahim, as soon as we learned about her, we began praying on Wednesday nights. Um, for those who are sick, for those who are in need financially, for those who just are in need in general, for those who are lost, for those who are, uh, who are hurting, for those who have been sinned against, for those who are sinners, we just pray for them. So if you can be here Wednesdays at 7, um, it's a great time to, to be here at the chapel. But in, in, in verse 21, Paul goes from being defensive, he goes on the offensive. We're going to end with, uh, our sermon next week is, is uh, Galatians 5 and 1. It starts this great uh, two-chapter run where it's just like filled with, with so much that we... We may not know it specifically, but we know it generally. Things, things like sowing and reaping. Things like the fruit of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh. And some of you may know a little bit about this and heard of it. Well, we're going to go through it in the book of Galatians chapters 5 and 6. But we start with uh, 5 and 1. We'll start next week, rather. That it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so it's my, it's my job to not preach next week's sermon, but to preach this week's sermon. But we have our eyes on that verse because on that verse hinges much of what we've learned in the first four chapters. And so I want you to do two things today. I want you to love the Lord and love each other, okay? I want you to love the Lord with all your mind, spirit, soul, and strength. With everything you've got, I want you to be focused on Jesus. And there are some people who who exit emotionally so that they can engage God uh, intellectually. And we have all the right facts, but we're, we're stunted emotionally. And then there are those who, who pursue God emotionally, but, but their, their theology is weak, or they, they believe certain things that maybe aren't so biblically. And so they need to come back this way towards the intellectual. I want it to be all, not, not one or the other. Some of you are more emotional. Some of you are more intellectual. Neither one of them is wrong, but we need both, okay? A well-rounded Christ follower has both. Whether your strength or weakness is in one or the other camps, doesn't matter. Let's, let's pursue with everything. So I don't want you to just hear this message today and say, okay, intellectually, I understand this. Theologically, my, my, my doctrines have become more solid, but it hasn't really changed me. I want you to, to also, you know, be like, I was emotionally invested that, that service day, but I didn't really learn anything. See, we got to have both. Okay, so starting in verse 21, Paul says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That's Paul quoting Isaiah 54, by the way. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free, uh, with the son of the free woman, rather. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. And there's so much in these 10 short verses, there's so much that we could, we could uh, explore and just tear apart and go into and learn. But today, Lord, I'm praying that that message, which you have uh, directed for today, would be the message that is preached. It'd be the message that is received. And may it spark in us an interest and, and, and not just an interest, but a, but a fire for your word to go back to it ourselves and to read and to study. And we give you the praise today. May Jesus be glorified in his precious name we pray. Amen. So Paul, he goes from saying things like, well, here's what, here's what I say and, and here's what the scriptures say. He asks this question. It's the only time in the book of Galatians where he kind of spins this phrase. He's like, you tell me now. This is your opportunity to respond. Imagine for yourself, put yourself in the, the first century Galatian church. Okay, here we are. We're in Galatia. You guys are Galatians. I'm the Galatian pastor. And we, we were started, uh, obviously, by the Holy Spirit. But Paul was the man that God, God used to start this church. And Paul had to leave because this is the day and age before internet and high-speed travel and that sort of thing. So he's left on foot to go to other places and start other churches. And so we've been left here with the Holy Spirit to literally fend for ourselves. And I don't say that in a negative sense. It's just we, we are part of this church and we're going to grow. Now, over the course of time, folks have come in and they've begin to, begun to add to the gospel. They've heard the gospel message of Jesus, that, that God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, uh, lived a sinless life, then died on the cross for our sins, and not only died for our sins, but raised his life back up again, conquering death so that we can live, rule, and reign with him forever. That basic gospel message, they've begun adding to it. In San Luis Obispo, California, uh, just, just a short 40 minutes from my hometown, there is something known as Bubblegum Alley. Anybody ever heard of Bubblegum Alley? Okay, it's hideous. It's an alleyway. First off, you ever seen a, an alleyway that wasn't dank and dark? No, it's an alley, okay? Um, and people over the course of time have taken their chewed bubble gum and stuck it to the wall. And I guess the first few times it probably didn't look like much. But now that decades have gone by and people have added one, one tiny piece of gum, it's caked on there. It's like... It's like stucco. It's this thick layer of just goo and saliva that's just sitting there. And at first it's novel. It's like, oh, cute. And then I think, I'm never touching that or going through that alley ever. Yes, it's fun, but who, who touches that wall? Yeah, I put the gum in the wall. It's gross, okay? 
But that's not my point. My point is one little piece at a time, people over the course of years have built up this now, you know, uh, the eighth wonder of the world, if you will, Bubblegum Alley. The gospel message usually isn't changed by some radical coming in one day and preaching something completely contrary. It's generally people who come in and just say, you know what? Here's my little piece. Here's what I'm going to add to the gospel. Here's the part that I don't agree with, so I want to change a little bit. Here's the part that, you know, I, I respect and accept 95%. But see this 5%? It just doesn't mesh well with me. It ruins my weekend. I want no part of that part. So we'll keep the primary portion of it, but just change a little bit. And after five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the gospel's like that bubblegum alley. It's completely covered and it's not the same thing anymore. Paul comes through in chapter one of Galatians. He be, it's like he's scraping that all away. Here's the gospel message that I preached to you 20 years ago. It's the same then as, what, as, it, is, uh, as it is now. Nothing has changed. Jesus is still God. He still died for your sins and through his name, all people are saved. Nothing has changed. The false teachers came in and said, well, you know, you need things like circumcision. Yes, you need the gospel of Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Right off the bat, you've lost half the population of Christianity because only men can be circumcised, right? At least in this, this sense. And you need things like observances of different Jewish festivals. And if you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of things like the Jewish people were having parties all the time. Some of them with bitterness and weeping, but nonetheless, celebrations all the time. New moons and Sabbaths and years of Jubilee and, and, and the Feast of Trumpets and the Passover. And, and there was always something to be celebrated. And so folks would come in, mostly folks who were under the disguise of Christians, but still religious folks at heart would come in and say, you know what? Yes, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna help out Jesus as though the God of the universe needs our help. If your God needs your help, you've got the wrong God. Get another God. If, if you have to help him, not cool. He, he is God. He is ruler of all things and does not need our help. The gospel message that we preach, it's not up to us. I have folks come and tell me, I don't know how to share my faith. It's not up to you, Okay. You could literally, if somebody is going to be reached by the Holy Spirit in that moment, you could give them a recipe for Rice Krispie treats and somehow the Holy Spirit will show them the gospel message. Oh yeah, the Rice Krispies are like Jesus and the, and the marshmallows like the blood. And that's how Jesus works. It's not up to you, but you get to be a part of the message. You get to be a part of what God is doing. Like, like the tool in the hand of a skilled uh, craftsman. Yeah, you might be the hammer, but it's God swinging. It's God, it's God using you to bring life to other people. And so Paul's got to go back. And he's got to scrape away all this garbage to get back to the pure, holy message of Jesus Christ. Church, there's no reason to ever change your gospel to make it more palatable for people. We have certain liberties, okay? Here's, here's a liberty that we have. Our culture is effective specifically by certain aspects that maybe the rest of the world uh, aren't experiencing. And so we can go into a setting like this or, or communication or, or just having coffee with folks and we can meet them where they're at. We can, we can understand their plight, but we don't change the message. 
We don't worry about offending them and say, oh, well, okay, your, your sin is this. Well, I don't want to offend you. I better not tell them about how sinners, you know, are apart from Jesus. No, we don't change the message. We just come in a, in a way of love and, we, and we, we communicate that to them. If it comes down to a point where we've got to share that sinners go to hell apart from Jesus, we don't say that with, with a snarky tone in our voice. We don't say it like, like we want them to go there. We say it like somebody shouting to another person in a burning building, get out, get out of the burning building. You're going to die. Come here, come be with the savior. Come be with the one who has saved us. We don't talk down. We, 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 we plead for their life. So Paul's going back to scrape away this, this, the, the, the false teaching to get back to the heart of the matter. He says, tell me, tell me, Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you even obey the law? <clears throat> if someone were to approach you about what you believe, what would you tell them? What would you say? Have you thought about that? One of my favorite football players of all time, Mr. Jerry Rice, number 80, San Francisco 49ers, later the Raiders, later the Seahawks, boo. One of the things I learned from him at a very early age, just because I was a kid, I would just read about football players and things. He would visualize the night before the game he wanted to play, the routes he would run because he was a wide receiver, the routes he would run, you know, what he would do should he be in this situation or if the defense should shift or if this certain person was covering him. I mean, he played that all out in every, in every conceivable scenario that he, he could humanly uh, muster. He would go through those things the night before in his head. I just apply that to the gospel. What would I say in this circumstance? If someone were to approach me, hey, what do you believe? Peter says in the book that he wrote, 1 Peter, that you've got to be prepared for the answer, to give the answer for the faith that you have. Are you prepared? Now, here's the cool part. There are going to be most times, most times, where we are unprepared or ill-prepared. And the Holy Spirit's going to give us the words to say. Once again, proving to us, oh, it's not all about us. We rely upon God. He gives us the words to say. But that doesn't excuse us from studying God's word and just knowing what we believe. That yes, Jesus is God. He's not just a God or, or he's not just a demi-God or he's not just a, a, a prophet or a good man or a good teacher. He's God. He is what the Bible says that he is because the Bible's about him. So if I were to tell you, or if someone would come and tell you, tell me what you believe. See, Paul is, Paul is checking the Galatians. Tell me why you believe what you believe. Now imagine yourself, like I said, you're in Galatia, you get this letter, it's from Paul, and you think, oh, Paul wrote to us. We love Paul, good guy. And you've went through the first four chapters like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't warm and fuzzy. This is, he doesn't like what we're doing. And now he's challenging us. Tell me what you believe. Right off the bat, who gets defensive? Everybody. I'll tell you what I believe. I'll tell you what I, what I think, and I'll tell you this, and I'll tell you that. You gotta be prepared for that. Yes, it's not all about you. It's not about your performance. But you're still commanded by God to be prepared, to be ready, to practice, to think it over in your head. Talk to your husbands, talk to your, I talk to my wife all the time. What about this? What about that? I read this. There are times where she's like, Tony, that sounds really good. I'm trying to wash the dishes. Can we talk about this later? Oh yeah, okay, but this is the question I have in my head. And what do you think about this? 
She say, and then she usually comes back with something so simple and so profound and so perfect. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like, what if you just love people? What if you just love God? And, and, and what, if you, what if instead of yelling at them, you just gave them the, the gospel? Oh yeah, that's a good answer, Sarah. Tell me. He tells the Galatian church, tell me. Do you even follow the law? Because that's the problem. And here's the thrust of today's message. He said, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, what do you desire today? Go into that place in your heart that only you know about. What is it you want so badly? What is it that has gripped your heart and you want it? Like like a zombie wants a brain, you want it. You gotta have it. It is the desire of your heart. You just, you would do anything and everything to get that. What is it? This is, this is me checking you as Paul checked the Galatian church. What are the desires of your heart? I'll tell you right now, the desire of your heart reveals who your God is. If your desire is to be comfortable and to be unchallenged and to never hurt or suffer, that's your God. A life of ease. Life free of pain. If you've been on this earth more than 10 minutes, you realize that doesn't exist. Everybody and everyone goes through some type of suffering in different seasons of their life. They come and they go. There are times where there are very little suffering. There's very little suffering. There's time where there is great suffering. And those times just seem to last a lot longer than the times without the suffering. There are even some of you here who who have suffered so long your suffering is like your friend. Your suffering is like just part of you now. It's almost part of your identity. You know, it's like a limp, but spiritually or, or, or emotionally. It's just, you lost hope on, ever that, on that ever getting corrected or fixed or, or healed a long time ago. And so it just became a part of you. I want you to ask yourself, what are my desires? See, the intellectual person here is going to say, Jesus. Yes, that is the right answer. But does the fruit of your life prove that answer? If, you, if your answer is Jesus, but your actions don't prove that, then you just have the right answer, but you're not living the right answer. You're, you know what to say, you're just not doing it. And if you read the book of James, the little brother of Jesus, he has a lot to say about folks who have uh, a lot of words without a lot of action. Who, who know how to talk the talk, but don't walk it at all. And so what are your desires today? Your desires show who your God is. Here's the good news. One of the great markers of, because uh, some of you will ask, how will I know I'm a Christian? I said a prayer and nothing, there was no lightning or fireworks. Nothing really happened. I said a prayer with some guy and things look the same. And for me, it was kind of like that. I, you know, gave my life to the Lord at at 12 and then took it back promptly thereafter. But nothing seemed different. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s where I did this all over again and, and something changed. I noticed that the things that I desired weren't always about me. They weren't always about having a new car or a new job or having kids. I mean, good things. These aren't bad things to want kids and cars and things like that. These are good things. 
but I, I begin to see that, that the desires of my heart just begin to change and, and, and be transformed. The thing that I desired most was just Jesus. Like, I don't even want your stuff, Jesus. I get it. You bless me. You love me. I, get, I just want to talk to you. I want to converse with you. I want to read your word and understand it. I mean, that was mind-blowing enough. I actually want to read the Bible. How many of you have sat down to read the Bible? This is it. Going to do it. This is the year. Maybe you start on January 1st. I'm going to read the Bible. If you're like me, I picked up the Bible. I thought, well, the adult version is the, uh, the King James. Like if you're a grown-up, because I was 18 at the time. If you're a grown-up, you read a King James Version Bible. So I went to uh, the church I was going to, had a Bible bookstore. Went and bought my own big boy Bible. Started reading that thing about three chapters in. I'm like, yeah, I'm lost. There's a snake. There's a fruit. Everything fell apart. And now um, there's all these numbers. Like I don't understand any of this. And it seems like it sounds beautiful, but they could be telling me how to change a radiator. I, I really don't know because the language is, is, is just confusing me. Now, some of you read the King James and you understand it. And that's like miraculous to me. So I'm not, I'm not downing you at all. I'm just saying that maybe for me, I'm not, I'm not there to read it and actually glean from it. I use the English Standard Version, which is just easier for me to read and it's easier for me to teach from. But I, I began to want to read the Bible. I would open it up and not only would I want to read it, I would understand it. I mean, at least somewhat. Like, like, like a kid who finally learned how to turn on an Xbox, like, oh, I, I get it. I can't, I can't do anything yet, but I, I, I get this part. And, this, and oh, this scripture. Okay, I, I get what God is telling me now. One of the greatest indicators of whether or not you are a Christian, a Christ follower, completely, completely transformed from the inside out, is that your desires are now what he wants. Men, how many of you have ever fallen in love? If you're a husband, you better say yes. Of course we have. In those first few weeks, months, and years, they're like, it's, had somebody once tell me, oh, you're just in your pink fluffy stage. Like, what is that? Like, that sounds like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, that, it's that time where you seemingly have to do very little and you're so full of joy. And you find this woman and she's, she's yours and, and, and you ask her to marry you and she's going to marry you. Like she said, yes. She could have said no. I would have said no to me. But she said yes. And, and, and she's, she wants to, to live the rest of her life and give you that honor. And your thoughts are, I want whatever she wants. If she wants to have five kids, we'll have five kids. If she wants a big house, we'll have a big house. If she wants a small house, we'll have a small house. If she wants to live here, if she wants to live there, that's where we'll live. Because I want what she wants. The desires of your heart change. And then later you come in for counseling because those desires change again. And you now want what you want. I'm here to tell you, you want what Jesus wants, you make your wife happy. Okay? But much like that, that is a small glimmer, glimpse of what it's like when Jesus gets a hold of your life. Your desires are no longer the same. You now want to read the Bible. You don't feel guilty. That's, that's not the same thing. Oh, I, I should read my Bible. I haven't read it since the 90s. I just know I should, but I, I, I just feel so guilty. That helps nobody, especially you. That's not the point of this. If you guys walk away today and go, man, I, just, I need to love Jesus more. No, no, no. You've, you've got it all backwards. Yes, that is the truth, but you learn to love somebody by knowing them more. 
and by making yourself open and vulnerable to them so that the desires of your heart can be changed. Some of us, some of us have made, have made that the, the, the idol of our hearts, that thing which we want. And sometimes our greatest sin is not drug addiction or adultery or, or, or just being a, 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 a rebel to, to every form of, of rule or whatever. Your greatest sin is you just want stuff. Look across our nation. We're a nation who just wants stuff. Every year we spend more than we make. That tells me we want stuff. We want the house we can't afford. We want the car we can't afford. We want the lifestyle we can't afford. I have folks that'll come and ask me to pray and, and I, I love praying for people. But this is a hard word and I want you to take it and, I, and please, I ask for your grace, but it's a hard word. People come and tell me, I need your prayer. We don't have enough money. But that prayer is always so that they can support the, the level of lifestyle they have so that they don't lose anything. Church, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. I've got stuff and I like my stuff and I don't want my stuff to go away, okay? But here's what I've learned. Stuff is just stuff. And it's not my God. It can't be my God. And, and, if, and if God should take something away and my level of living has to come down, then so be it. You know, there was a time where Sarah and I had two cars and we couldn't support that lifestyle anymore. We prayed, Lord, give us the provision to have two cars. But you know what ended up happening? Got rid of a car. Insurance goes down. Car payments go down. Gas, you know, goes down. Is it harder? Yeah. Yeah, you ever have one car and you got to go two different places at the same time? Yeah, not a lot of fun. But that's what we did. If the provision was for one car, then that's what we, that's what we went to. Would we like to keep the two? Of course but that our life changed. And the desire of our heart was not, oh, we need to have two cars. The desire was, Lord, whatever you want. And I'm not here to like, like hey, Pastor Tony is a great big example of how good God is. No, for every one victory like that, there are a thousand failures. There are a thousand prayers of me just like, Lord, please don't take my stuff. And those are there too. What? are the desires of your heart. The Galatians, the desire was religion. You might say, how, how is that? Religion's the default mode of every human being. If you go unchecked, you will go right back to religion because we feel as though we got to do something. We got to light a candle or something. Come on, let me light a candle. Let me, let me put it up in a windowsill or something. We, we got to do something religious so that God will see us. We got we to gotta go to church. We gotta, we gotta do something. Then, then God will hear my voice. Then, religion. It's just religion. The Galatians, they just wanted more religion. Yeah, let's all get circumcised. Imagine show up on a Sunday, circumcision Sunday. Like we're gonna have baptism Sunday, but imagine circumcision Sunday. I imagine most of you men would not show up that day. Calling sick, you gotta work. Doors aren't even open, but you're going to work. You're not going to church, that's for sure. And men, people, yeah, that's how God hears us. That's why my, that's why my life is in the toilet because I, I'm not circumcised or because I didn't practice that, that festival. The desire of their heart was religion and not Jesus. And so when we get to Galatians chapter five and one, for freedom Christ has set you free, it's not just about, it's not just about freedom from sin. It's freedom from religion. James will say that there is a religion that, that is acceptable to God. It's, it's to help the widow and the orphan and to keep yourself unstained from the world. 
It's like saying the best defense is a good offense. Your, your best religion is not, is not lighting a candle or some pious activity. It, it's serving others and being holy. That, that's, that's the religion that God accepts. Not, not no, some chanted prayer or, or even being baptized. I mean, baptism is great, but it doesn't do anything for you if your heart hasn't changed first. What is the desire of your heart? In Luke chapter six, verse 43, Jesus says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and, and grapes, uh, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And out of the abundance, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Some people de-emphasize words in our, in our culture. And that's just a bad pendulum swing. Like people are like, well, you gotta, you gotta preach the gospel. And then their actions are really like lacking. And so like, oh, well, you gotta, you gotta just love people and use words if necessary to preach the gospel. Like, that's stupid. You gotta have both. You, you, can't just, you can't just preach a good game and you can't just live a good game. You gotta do both. You gotta be able to live and then be tactful and deliberate with the words you use. You can't just go out and blah, just gospel everywhere and just throw up your gospel on people and expect them to get saved. You gotta, you gotta go in there and you gotta meet people and have relationships and, and find those moments where, where there's an opportunity to preach the gospel, where they become so vulnerable with you that they'll allow you to, to, to share that with them. And, and not only will you be intellectually minded, here's, the, here's how mathematically you need Jesus, but you'll have the emotional. Here's, here's how it worked for me. Here's how I found myself in the deepest of depravity. Here's, here's where, where my darkest moment in time was. And then I met Jesus. And for the first time in my life, it all made sense. For the first time in my life, I, I had hope and not despair. For the first time in my life, I felt loved and not discarded. For the first time in my life, I felt like the future had, had, had good for me and not, just, and not just bad. It felt like my life now had a purpose I wasn't just wandering aimlessly. That, that, the, that the, the sin that I've fallen into and so consumes me, I now have hope that that won't last forever. And that, that one day, one glorious day, Jesus will return and I will be with him and he will be my God and I will be his people. And I'll be joined into the family of saints and we will worship the Lord and the tears will be wiped away and, and the pain will be gone. But but more than anything, this, this one who has saved me will be with me forever. For he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He's, he's promised to never turn his back on me or to, to forget about me. You ever been forgotten? It's the worst, isn't it? You ever been left behind? Not cool. When everybody goes off without you, like, oh man, what did I do wrong? Jesus says, no, I, I'll never do that to you. Yeah, you'll go through the valley of the shadow of death, but man, I'm gonna be right there with you with my word being a lamp unto your feet. So, so, so here's the last thing I want to talk about. Paul says this. Let me go back a little bit. In, in Galatians chapter four, verse 30, but, but what, what does the scripture say? Church, I love men who have written books about the Bible. I, I do. 
Uh, I'm a Bible nerd. I love reading books about the Bible. I love reading about topics and, and old sermons. I just do. That's my thing, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, they fall way short of the actual Bible itself. If you were to come and tell me something, Pastor Tony, here's what I believe. Pastor Tony, here's what I think. Pastor Tony, here's my opinion. I would say the same thing that Paul said. What does the scripture say? What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about sexuality? What does the Bible say about poverty? What does the Bible say about being rich? What does the Bible say about being married or about being single, about having kids? What does the, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? Because some folks just believe, Christian and non-Christian, just believe what they believe because they believe it. They saw it on the internet or it's passed down from their parents or, or something. They simply believe it and because they believe it, it must be true. And then you have folks that end up in a lot of trouble. We would never do that in any other avenue of life. I just believe what I believe. If you went to a doctor and he said, this procedure will work, well, how do you know that? Well, I just believe that it will. And so it will. You'd find another doctor. We go back to the scriptures. This is what God has given us to know him primarily, first and foremost. Will he speak to you outside of this? Yes. But when he speaks to you outside of this, it will not contradict this either. God would not tell you that something's permissible when his word has told you that it is not and vice versa. God will not tell you, yes, love all people except for those people. And then go back to the word and it says, well, it says to love my neighbor as I love myself. One contradicts the other. I would say if, if something outside of the Bible tells you something that contradicts what's in the Bible, that's got to go and this has got to stay. And so all this comes back to the word of God. How does Paul know? Paul knows by the word of God. How do we know? We know by the word of God. How do we know, how do we know God's so against religion? Because we read about how religion killed his son in the gospels. How do we know that God loves us? Because we read that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I don't know about you, but I'd be hard pressed to give up my child for the life of somebody else. I mean, that's just me being honest. But God was willing to do that. And so I want to ask you today, where are your desires? For the Galatians, it was in religion. That's where they, that's where they thought they found this liberty that they were experiencing. But Paul says they were actually in chains. The only thing worse than somebody who thinks they're free is somebody who thinks they're free while having shackles around their arms. Yes, this freedom is so good. This freedom is so great. Clank, 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 clank. Not freedom. It's bondage and slavery. Let's stand. I'm gonna be real honest with you. I don't know how long I've preached. Maybe 30 minutes? Seems like a lot longer, but this is just the, 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 a fragment of what we find here in these scriptures. We could, we could, we could be here all day. And, and for me, I'd be fine with that. Not because I'm great or anything like that. I just want to, I want to learn and I want to read the gospel. and I want to converse with some of you and have questions and, and just, 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 oh, just, just tear down the Bible and, and not in a bad way, but to, to tear down ourselves. In church, I've begun this new prayer and I'm praying that that's the desire of your heart too.
I am praying as often as I can remember and sit down to pray. I am praying, Lord, for the people at our church at South Bay Chapel, I'm praying that their desire would be for you first and foremost. Not just as a formality, not just intellectually, not just because it's the right answer, but because your heart has been so changed by the gospel message of Jesus that now he is all that you want. That you are so enamored by him. He is so, he is so mysterious yet so, so easy to be found that you want to just give yourself to him and make yourself available and make yourself vulnerable and let him change you. And find that there, if there are things in your life that contradict the word of God, then it has to go and we crucify it. Because as we do that, we learn more about the Lord. The biggest fear that I have, probably the only fear that I have, is that I will get to the end of my tenure here at South Bay Chapel, whether it be 40 years or 400 years, whatever the Lord should decide, I really don't care, as long as I can be here, that I would be here so long and that nobody would know Jesus as a result of the messages preached here on a Sunday. That everybody here would be just where they were the day I started. Church, I want you to know and to want Jesus, not the way I do. Oh man, I want it to be so much more. I want you to know and desire Jesus above all things. Above, above a better job, above a better car, above more money in the bank or more money to pay the bills, above more pleasures, that he would be your greatest pleasure. Church, I can only preach to you the gospel, but living it, that's all up to you. I'm praying today that you hear the gospel message that, that something will awaken inside of you, whether you were young or old, whether you have done this forever or this is your first time, that this would be the day that you give your life to Jesus and allow him like a clay before a sculptor to be molded and to be shaped and changed and even broken if necessary. Because sometimes, just sometimes, there are times where we need to be broken to be set right. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Okay. This is, this is us, for those of you new to church, this is us having just a, a moment of privacy. Our faith is, is lived out in public, but there are moments like this where, where we want to allow people to have a little bit of privacy. We're not going to crane our necks and look at who's responding or anything like that. We're just going to close our eyes. And Father, I want to pray for your people here. Lord, I pray that the desires of their hearts would be changed. Your word says that, I believe it's in Psalm 84, that as we delight ourselves in you, you will give us the desires of our heart. That you don't just, you don't just give us blank checks for whatever we want, but as we avail ourselves to you, that, that you, give a, you give of yourself to us. That first and foremost, you give us that heart to desire you above all things. I'm praying that for your people, Lord. I am a very bad example of that. I am not the example. Your son Jesus is the greatest example of all. We read in the Gospels times where he's doing such a great work, but then he goes off to just be with you. He goes off to be in solitude to pray. Father, there are times where we need to do just that. And just reconnect with you. Our lives are so crazy. We have so much to do and so many places to be and we just need to steal a few moments away where we can just spend with you and your word and 
prayer seeking you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us that desire. There are other people here, Lord, where the large portion of our day is in quiet and solitude. We sit in an office, we sit in a desk, and we're just like a caged lion just waiting to leave. And Lord, I want to pray that you give us the opposite. Not more quiet time, but times where we could just express and celebrate our love for you, where we could be loud and give ourselves to you and, and, and just raise our hands and, and, and shed some tears and be vocal and, and, and give ourselves that way. Lord, some of us don't even know how to do this. I mean, we get it intellectually. You know, Jesus plus us equals salvation. We get that, Lord. But emotionally, spiritually, in our soul, we haven't been changed like that. And I'm praying for each person here today that you would bring that change to them. And with eyes closed and hands raised, how many people today want those desires to be your desires? Just raise your hand. You want above all things, you want to want God. Okay, church, that is, that is your start. Today is the day where this begins. It will not be perfect. It will not be easy. It will not, it will not happen overnight. But you have begun and endeavored to do that which the word has told us to do. To treasure God above all things. And as you dig in deeper and you, and you, and as you invest yourself in the Lord, you're going to begin to understand and see and have revealed to you just how wonderful and big and great he really is. you. And I thank you for those hands raised. And may this be the day, the day where everything changes. And Jesus, we love you. I thank you that, that your ministry is not over, that, that you are still saving and giving your life to people and changing their hearts and transforming them. And I pray that you would shepherd us into each and every day and week and year that should proceed from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.